Welcome to Ubaldi Reports. Hey, the uh, Republican debates are now over. The question we have to ask ourselves, who are the big winners and who are the big losers? And did they answer the questions regarding the economy and foreign affairs that most Americans are concerned about, especially the economy? On today's podcast, we will be speaking with Scott McDonald, president of Scott McDonald and Associates, which is located in Salt Lake City, Utah. Scott runs a public relations company which deals with the demographic site analysis for various companies around the country. Hey, let's welcome Scott McDonald. How's it going, Scott? It is going so beautifully well. You know, you just wish you were in Utah right now. The weather is, like, magnificent. It'll make you weep. I don't, I don't know. Florida's pretty good. I like Florida. Yeah, but you can grow moss in the shady sides of your body, so we don't have to go into that. <laughs> okay. Now, with that... What did you think of the debate? I mean, did you there was there a, was there a clear front? Um, was there was there a clear winner or was there a clear loser or how do you score the uh, debate? Now, if if we define a winner as somebody who changed their position relative to the other candidates and also gained public recognition and at the same time gained public support from the media, I'd say Carly Fiorina was a definite winner. I mean, she's been on all over the media, and she's definitely gotten a lot of kudos. But at the same time, she's brought some scrutiny to herself, which is probably the clearest sign that she did very well. Well, no, you're correct. I think um, Carly Fiorina did probably the best out of the debate. I mean, she moved up from the second-tier debate on, on last month, and she moved into the basically the major leagues. Now, was there a... In your estimation, was there a loser in this debate? Well, in, if we define a loser as somebody who just fell all over themselves and said stupid, stupid things, no, there wasn't. These are very, very good candidates. They are all experienced in, in front of people. So, no, I don't think there was a real loser. However, I think Donald Trump's position as the front runner was definitely imperiled. Now, what did, in your estimation, that Donald Trump... Being the clear front runner, we got to start with the top. What did he do that did not enhance his credibility as a candidate? Okay, if we're talking credibility, he gave no facts whatsoever. Now, remember, the people who are watching these debates are pretty savvy people. As far as the electorate goes, these are people who are centrally motivated or uh, they're core processors. Uh, as in public opinion, that's what we call the people who watch debates and read reviews and actually try to get the facts. They're not peripheral in their point of view. And because of that, they wanted Donald Trump to say something, present definitive plans, let people know that he's actually going to do something. Instead of saying, oh, man, when I'm I'm president, everything's going to be so much better. Uh, so, yeah, okay, fine. So basically, they weren't because I know in the audience, unlike the Fox debate back in um, August, this was handpicked individuals by CNN to have a diverse group. This wasn't your cheerleader that you have on the stump. Now, Donald Trump is um, he's good at commanding an audience. But do you think he failed to to meet expectations? Well, if the expectation was that he'd be entertaining, no, I think he was right on the money. I think he was very entertaining. Now, if it was to advance his agenda and to gain more credibility in the public mind, no, he failed. He didn't wasn't able to accomplish that. Now, the point that you brought up, that's a good point. Now, in the beginning of the debate, Donald Trump went at like Donald Trump. He attacked 
uh, Rand Paul and made a snide remarks to his to his looks. Was that a wise strategy for this debate, or was that just Donald Trump being Donald Trump? No, it's Donald Trump being Donald Trump, but the problem is the premise that Trump attacked him. Now, look, if you say, hey, I'm ahead in the polls, therefore I'm ahead in the polls, or I'm the one who should be elected because everybody likes me, the problem is what happens if all of a sudden he drops to number two or number three? The predicate for him being elected all of a sudden evaporates. It isn't because of his ideas or the strength of his character. It's simply because more people like me, therefore you ought to elect me. And that just doesn't hold up. And that's a good point because there was two, to me, there was two aspects to this debate. There was the, fr- the, the first half, which was, I think, I don't know if CNN did this by design. My guess is they did it. They wanted the, the candidates to go at it with each other. And then the second half of the debate, when they started to go into more specific policy matters, that's where Donald Trump was virtually silent. And every time he spoke on an issue like Syria, he was already refuted by Marco Rubio, Carly Fiorina, and, and a couple of candidates who had more credible answers to some of these issues. Exactly. Well, Marco Rubio jumped up almost immediately and started saying, here's my plan, here are the people, here's the issue. Carly Free Arena did the same thing. By the way, so did uh, uh, Governor Bush. And so did several other people who actually know what the heck they're talking about. So the, the uh, contrast to Trump was really negative. And the more people think about it, at least the people who are the opinion leaders, I think the worse he's going to appear by comparison. Well, I think one of the the um, the comments from one of the candidates was Marco Rubio when they started talking about Syria, and Donald Trump accused the other three senators on the stand that you didn't back Obama up when he wanted to bomb Syria back in 2013. I like the answer with Marco Rubio. So he came in and said the military doesn't do pinprick. That's what the president wanted. That's why we didn't support him. And he had a very credible answer. And then once he was done, then Carly Fiorina, she jumped in and she had very coherent points of what she would have done or not have done. And Donald Trump kind of looked almost clueless or hapless because he didn't have an answer. Well, and obviously Trump doesn't know what the Sixth Fleet is. Fiorina does. And so when she is specific in her recommendations and says we need to do X, Y, and Z. It makes her look well-prepared and credible. And right now, that is what everybody's going to be looking for in the next debate with Trump, trying to say, all right, so how credible are you? And that, by the way, is going to be one of the hidden agendas of the media. How, how credible is each person? How knowledgeable are they going to be? That will come up. Yeah, and that it definitely will come up, because the one thing that was, to me, was had my mouth, I've dropped my mouth open or opened my mouth on this one is when Hugh Hewitt, the other moderator on the, um, the debate started pressing Jeb Bush on, are, how are you independent from your brother when you hired some of your brother's key, um, staff members. And then when Trump, then he posed the question to Trump, who's advising you. And all he said was, Oh, don't worry. As soon as I'm elected, then I'll start boning up on these issues and I'm going to hire the best and the brightest. Just wait till I'm president. 
Well, I'm not sure the public's going to go for that one. Uh, it, they will at the beginning. And, and it, again, as everybody's trying to sort themselves out and we're looking for a little bit of an entertainment contest, yeah. But increasingly, people are going, no, I need specifics. In, in fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if in November, when we're talking about these things, people are saying, we want to have your plan laid out next to someone else's plan. You can't wait until after you've got the nomination to do that. Or much like what happened in 2008 when President Obama said, you know, hope and change gave a very generic and simple um, answers of what he would do. And then people found out how he was going to govern. And there's a lot of people didn't like the way he was governing. And I'm not sure that's going to play off this time. Well, we're going to have to wait till the person becomes president before we figure out what they're going to do. Right. Make. So we have to we have to vote for the bill to find out what's in it, right? I think you've heard Correct. that before. Almost like, yeah, I've heard that before. But there's one aspect to this debate beyond what the person said, beyond what the um, the policy position. What do you think the, the presence, how they carried themselves in the debate? Because the one thing about Donald Trump, he was all over, like making – um, faces when the other person was talking. How would that play off in a presidential election? Well, it worked pretty well for Al Gore when he was debating President Bush. You remember that? Oh, wait a minute. No, it didn't help him that time. No. Exactly. Yeah. And so basically, it looks like he's trying to employ a bunch of tricks. Part of the problem, obviously, is that Donald Trump, when he's doing that, is drawing attention to himself physically. But here's what is likely to happen the next time this goes on. The last two debates, Donald Trump has been in the center. He has people on either side of him who are the ones who have the highest ratings, so to speak. You know? Now, what happens if the next time he's not placed next to the, the two leaders? What happens if he may be off to the side and doesn't have the advantage of physical presence? Remember, CNN set him up as though, see, we got Donald Trump. He is the headliner. Well, he's not really the headliner. He may have more people at this moment, but not even a plurality. So, well, that, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, it's interesting you said that because one of the pundits, um, Charles Krauthammer, who's a syndicated um, columnist, he mentioned that. He goes, what would happen if Trump is now not number one, but is number two or three? Because his ego will get in the way because prior to the debate, when ever the attention went to uh, Ben Carson, he was like, why does anybody cover me? I'm number one. I'm not number two. How would his ego feed into that? Uh, forget his ego. Think more in terms of what's his rationale for being covered at all. Just to say that I'm popular is not sufficient to get people to say, oh, well, then we definitely ought to take you seriously. And that's a good point. Now, the question with this is, how does, I mean, I know it's still early. How do the polls play out? Now, there's, there's Donald Trump does have a core group of supporters, but are these likely voters? That's to be seen. Well, how does this yeah. That's, that, well, because some, because some of the pundits have mentioned that those that support Trump now, are they, do they vote time and time again? That's to be seen. Right. Well, you know how President Giuliani was uh, the leading guy to be beaten in a, oh, yeah, he didn't get to be a life that I keep forgetting. Just because a person is leading in the polls has nothing to do with the final result at all. Oh, correct. And polls have been shown wrong. And 
and pundits have been proven wrong that once it gets come time to crunch time, things have ch- things have happened and things have changed. Now, John, I don't know how many times I know you've worked for public relations groups before. So when we're doing a survey and we're trying to get a response, you know, the hardest thing in the world is to formulate the 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 rationale as to why you're asking a particular person a question. Uh, you know, a lot of times they have what they call a convenience poll, and that is we'll call a certain number of people or meet them at a shopping mall and we'll ask them a question. The problem with that is they're extremely unreliable and getting less and less reliable over time. So that that poll technology isn't working. If you were to ask the question, for instance, in Iowa, did you vote in the last primary? You have to, you know, because that's the big question, because the people who actually vote in those primaries are not the same people as our registered Republicans. They're very, very different. And your results are going to be skewed. And the problem is it's hard to identify a sizable enough group that you can actually afford to get. By the way, there's a price every time you you highly uh, designate a population. Uh, that you're going to pull, it, it, it gets to be very expensive. And right now, nobody has the money on a national or even a regional poll to find out the answer. So they're doing convenience polls. And if you just say, well, Donald Trump versus somebody else, oh, well, Donald Trump, I know who he is. doesn't mean that they like him, support him, or know anything about him. It's a convenience poll, and that's the problem. Well, and that's a good point that you bring up because that's why I follow politics probably more than the next guy. There's only certain polls that I kind of look to, and there's only certain individuals that I kind of will listen to more what they say. One of them is Larry Sabato from the University of Virginia. He comes across very credible. He really analyzes and goes through all the scientific method. But you are right. That is very expensive, and a lot of these campaigns don't have that kind of money to spend. So you are getting, like you're mentioning, a very generic aspect to these polls. Right. And so what you're looking for is a quantitative poll result. And boy, I'm sorry for in the tall weeds for your listeners. But when it comes to the qualitative polls, where we have people who are in a room and they're talking to somebody like the Fox News guy that they've got, who does these wonderful focus groups, I mean, that's great, but it doesn't give you a statistically reliable idea of who's really going to win. Correct. And that's why we'll find out more down as we go closer to Iowa, then maybe we'll get more of a more scientific down the polls. But the other person on the debate, how did you think Ben Carson did? Because he was number two in the polls going into this debate. Uh, I'm afraid that he has been a bit of an aberration. He's a lovely man, and I would love to have him uh, over to dinner. He's just a great guy. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's the one who I want to be uh, up at 2 o'clock in the morning talking to a world leader about some crisis right now. He's thoughtful. He's a good man. But I don't know if he's got the temperament. Exactly. I mean, he did get into it with Donald Trump when it came to the vaccination issue. I think he could have done it a little bit better by like, Mr. Trump or Donald Trump, where did you get your information that states that vaccine causes autism? And and all the more reason, I think, Carson's a nice man. He didn't take on Donald Trump. He didn't cram him into the dirt. He he should have, but he didn't, and that just goes to show something about him. And that could be, 
he could be the if let's say the Republicans win in 2016, maybe he's the person they pick for Health and Human Services, which is needs a good quality individual that knows public medicine, and he's more no more qualified. He's greatly qualified for that position. He's got credibility, and that and that gravitas that he brings is something that's that's inherent within him. He's got true power. Now that's why he'd be a great cabinet member. Exactly. Now, are there other candidates that did well in the debate? We did mention um, Carly Firioni, or Firini, if I pronounce her name right. And I thought uh, Marco Rubio did really well. He had a command of the issues, and so did Chris Christie. Were there any other candidates that, in your estimation that did well or didn't meet expectations? Uh, well, this may surprise you, but when it comes to uh, uh, Paul, I think he did actually pretty darn well. Now, he didn't make everybody fall in love with him. He's not a lovable, huggable, cuddly kind of guy. But, you know, as far as credibility is concerned, he'd actually handled himself better in this debate. And I think his supporters are going to like him just fine. The problem is we're getting to the point where the big money is chasing fewer and fewer people. So is there a rationale to say, yeah, he'd be the guy I want to choose? No. Huckabee? Uh, Huckabee is just an interesting character, and he's he's polished up his resume to go back on TV, but nobody thinks of him as a president. No, I think I agree. Rand Paul did really did pretty well. I don't think anybody did bad during the debate. I think they all had their good good moments. The three I thought were the, the clearly the winners. The one we mentioned, Donald Trump. I felt he was the leader of the pack, so he can only, he can only go one way up either extremely well or drop a little bit and he dropped considerably by not knowing the issues the one person that had to do well he didn't hurt his cause but he didn't really help it all that much was jeb bush he knows the issue but he just sounded like he was too scripted in his answers and every time the moderators asked him of something about his brother's administration he you can tell that he was just nervous expressing that but he did have a comeback for donald trump when donald trump challenged him on his brother taking the united states into iraq well the money people like bush because he's steady he doesn't have these weird you know polar swings one way or the other and one thing that i think people don't recall is he's an, a good administrator he can make the trends trains run on time his his time working in banking since he came out of the governorship in florida has been very strong so as for knowing the right people and how to handle those people, uh, while we don't look at debates and say that's a great quality, it is nevertheless something that he does well. No, he was. I mean, I've talked to people here in Florida. They said he was a phenomenal governor and he knows how to, to get things going. I think the thing that's going to hurt him, he has to come back with better, solid answers and not be so scripted when they're talking about, when they're talking about his brother's administration. And is the public ready for another Bush presidency, considering we had the father, the son, and now another son? It defines on what you mean when you use the term Bush, because it's not necessarily a generic brand. They were both elected because they were competent administrators. One's a former governor of Texas. The other was, heck, vice president, former pre- head of the CIA, a long-term senator, and by the way, the son of a very popular senator. A lot of people tend to forget Prescott Bush was Correct. really an important senator for a long, long time. So that when you talk about Bush, 
that actually means something to people that could be positive. So I'm not so ready to, to write him off because he's not spectacular in a debate. Uh, well, and that's what, yeah, and I agree. I think we look at the debate as the final key to everything. We'll have to see as we go down, as we get further and further along. Now, were there other candidates? How did you think the other candidates, like a John Kasich did, or um, okay. uh, Mike, you know, you mentioned Huckabee. Kasich looked confused and not particularly glib and smooth. And for a man who's been in public life that long, I don't think he put the message together in such a way that a Republican base is going to say, he is our man. Uh, again, great leader, excellent administrator, but not necessarily the icon that the public's looking to, with a clear way of speaking and firm message that they want to hear. Uh, Cruz, by the way, is just a, a fun guy to watch. I mean, honestly, he's just great, but a little bit like the guy who wanted to date a beauty queen. You know, they're fun to look at, but do you really want to own one? You know what I mean? Well, the thing with Ted Cruz, he just always seemed angry when he was answering. He was very, he know he's a great debater. He has a great command of the issues. But I just think he comes across as very angry. And people got to watch this individual for four years and on their television set. Are they going to want someone like that? And I agree with you with John Kasich. When he started talking about the um, foreign affairs, he just seemed kind of unsure of himself on a couple areas. Well, he's completely muffed himself up when it comes to the uh, the immigrant situation. So Kasich, lovely man, but that's Ohio. It's not a border state, and he doesn't get where a lot of the Southern Republicans are coming from. And, and, and they're seriously worried about this immigration thing, and he's a little bit more like, yeah, I think we need him. Sure, let's bring him in. And that's what – I know the big debate – divulged into the immigration. That's where I think Trump hurt himself when he mentioned we got the 11 million people in the United States, we're going to get rid of them. But he never said how he's going to do it when Chris Christie mentioned prior to the debate that would take every law enforcement officer in the United States to execute something like that. Yeah. And and the thing is, everybody knows it. And that's the problem with hyperbole. It may sound fun to listen to. It may be kind of exciting, but the truth is nobody believes it. And the other thing, and this is where both Democrats and Republicans, and I know I got mentioned this to you off this radio program, that nobody mentions. The immigrants are coming mainly from Central America and to a degree Mexico. But no one talks about, well, what's Mexico? What are we doing to help Mexico and Central America? Or what, are, what do they need to do to keep their own people in their own country? And no one seems to talk about that. It's just always what we need to do. Well, having lived and worked in uh, Mexico and Central America. You know, I've done this, you know, for a long time. I know, and I speak Spanish fluently and all. Uh, there are problems going on right now that we in the United States are so unaware of that are forcing these things, people coming over the border, that the, the risks of what happens when, not if, Mexico and the Central America explode, we haven't begun to deal with. No, and you're right on, you're right on the point. We look at they're here, but we're not fixing the problem over there, or at least because my dad was an immigrant. He came from Europe after the war. Nobody comes from Europe anymore because Europe has a stable economy, except for you know, Greece and some of the southern Mediterranean countries. But for the most part, they don't come to the United States. 
So why not do something to keep them over there, build up their economy before they come here? And no one talks about that from Republicans don't and definitely the Democrats don't. And this is what it's it's odd that it's it's um, it's gone like that. But the other thing is what questions was odd during this debate that was not asked. There was no really very little about veterans, very little about the economy. They touched on it. But they really spent all their time on foreign affairs. Uh, but the only people who brought up anything about the economy were the candidates themselves. It wasn't the forum that allowed it. So no one was saying, all right, why are we having such a problem with unemployment or labor participation rate? What should the Fed do regarding the, uh, the interest rates? Should they proceed? None of that was asked. Part of that reason is because I don't think the Democrats, and they're primarily the ones who are calling the shots at CNN— they don't want to get into that. Yeah, you make a good point because Thursday, the Federal Reserve, this is after the debate, but I know Wednesday, <clears throat> almost all the market, the stock market, Wall Street was watching with the bated breath, what's the Fed going to do on Thursday? And right. Fed kept the interest rates the way they are, and the stock market today just collapsed um, by 200 points. But nobody asked the candidates, so what now – what do you think the Fed should do? Should they raise interest rates? What are you going to do to jumpstart the economy? It, sh- I mean, we- it should have been a leading question. Oh, yes. But and the other, but the other, sorry to interrupt this. The other leading question is what happened preceded to the debates. The last three or four weeks, the market's been in turmoil, been up a couple hundred points, then it plummets. No one's been talking about the impact of China, the collapse of their economy on the U.S. market and jobs here in America. Well, no one wanted to go into it. And no one, by the way, is also talking about one of the other geopolitical things we've got to take into account, and that's the price of oil. With the collapse of the oil market and gluts that have built up, I realize it's a shifting thing week by week, but it is undermining Russia's economy. It's undermining the Middle Eastern economies. When that happens, and the United States has just voted that it, it should allow exports of oil, which we haven't allowed since the 70s. Well, that's, gonna, the other, that's huge. Well, the other thing is, with oil at its record low for right now, it's, I think the lowest we've had it in years, this should have given infusion of capital into the consumer's hands. But the, the economy is not improving it's still stuck at around a 2% growth. Nobody's expecting it to explode into 3 or 4%. I remember in September 1983, Ronald Reagan created 1.1 million jobs in just one month. Nobody's expecting that. But none of these questions were asked. Well, and that's, a, that's an excellent point. Now, let's keep this in mind. The next president of the United States is being handed this bomb with a fuse that's fizzing away, that is Obamacare. I mean, in 2016, we're going to see pain that is going to drive down employment tremendously, tremendously. When that happens, what's the next president going to do? Not just say, I'm getting rid of it. They're being handed this terrible problem with uh, the world markets. We haven't talked about it. Nobody wants to bring it up. But that's what the next president has to face. Until the media kind of gets the idea that we need to know this stuff, no one's going to ask. Well, no one is going to ask. And it's kind of ironic. Nobody mentioned 
Obamacare. They just said we got to get rid of it, and that was about it. But nobody talked about the impact of Obamacare next year, as you mentioned, into the um, how does that affect the economy? And the other thing that nobody mentions, what about the student loan debt? I mean, I know a lot of college students who either graduated or getting ready to graduate. And there was two college students who helped me with my crowdfunding video campaign. And I asked them about, what about when you graduate? They had a fear in their eyes that I have never seen among any college student. They're scared to death about what happens when they graduate in May. Well, it's a, it's a big problem. And for those of us who have graduate degrees, remember that used to be, well, I can go back and teach. But with the net and gross number of college students going down, teaching jobs are really at a premium. The tenure track ain't happening anymore. And so that whole idea about the academic uh, uh, world generating more people, getting them out into the world, into productive careers, I, I think the problem is they're unprepared to help that to happen. No, I, I agree with you. Now, what are the challenges ahead for the Republican candidates? The Republican brand itself needs to be rehabilitated, and that's not very hard to do, especially when you have the candidates like we do now. They're they're not saying, well, I'm a party apparatchik. I'm I'm a a new person with a new kind of philosophy. I don't think it's going to be hard, but they still need to concentrate on repairing that image. Uh, I agree. I would agree. And I think they also need to have a better coherent message because in the first debate last month, they seem to have a hard time. How do you get people back to work so they're not tied to government? They're not like on, you know, unemployment, government assistance of some sort. They just never could co- express their what they would do differently to change all that. Right. Uh, and, and uh, John, one of those things that the people have said the Republicans really have to be careful of is the media is inherently against them. The, the problem is media has become so splintered. Social media is one of the causes, but there's a million other ways to go about doing this. You can really go around big media. If you look at Fox News, for example, it is bigger in its ratings during most of the day parts than all the rest of the cable news uh, stations combined. Uh, but they are struggling, and uh, there's there's a great deal of fragmentation going on in the media. I think the old way of getting the message out is gone, and therefore that they have to be aware of new media conduits that they have to take advantage of. No, I agree. I think the Republicans have to look at social media. They have to look at everything to keep blaming the media. That's great, but that's that may hurt fix your base, but it's not going to get you new voters. Now, finally, on our last question, what are the challenges ahead for Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party? Uh, well, remember, credibility is king. Uh, the, the people who were the primary voter base for Clinton have really reached their pinnacle back in 2008. It ain't getting any bigger. And in fact, as people age, they become less and less enthusiastic about the Clintons and that whole old Democratic mojo. The Democrats have got to look like they have some relevance. If you look at every candidate that they're putting up with a couple of minor candidate exceptions, everybody's in their 70s. These people are old, and some of them are looking pretty weird. Uh, you know, Al Gore they're still bringing up? Really? Uh, so these are, these are people who younger voters are not enthusiastic about. 
they've got to create a, a predicate to get people up and out to the polls. And right now they're doing a terrible, terrible job at creating well, I that. Think, well, I think the big reason is what happened in 2010 and 2014. The Republican Party swept through the country. They put a big push in winning nationally. They won in the state legislature, the governorship, the U.S. Senator, the House. And since the Republicans, I mean, excuse me, the Democrats lost there, they don't have a bench to go to. Right. And one example, there's a couple of college students that I know, and they're big, big liberal, big liberal Democrats, and they were big Hillary fans. But once the foundation problem with Hillary came out and how she was getting money from Wall Street, getting money from very rep- uh, very repressive countries around the world, I think that fed into that you're just another established, it's all about you, what about us? Right. Right, and that was the whole predicate behind the uh, uh, Occupy Wall Street movement. Is yeah, what if we, our people, we're coming up. Well, look, when you have a charismatic young African American president who's gathering people, oh, it's very easy to spark him in with excitement. When you've got a lady who is kind of old, kind of feeble, and is under indictment all the time, uh, not so easy. Not so easy to get people excited. And the last part that I would bring up for the Democratic Party, this is not 2008 when they were had, you know, four years, I mean, excuse me, eight years of Republican president. And people failed to realize there was two campaigns there. Barack Obama and John McCain were dead even prior to the financial collapse. Once that happened, Abraham Lincoln couldn't have won, as Donald Trump once said. Yeah. But going into this election, it's 2016. They would have occupied the the White House for eight years. They own the economy, good, bad, or indifference. It's on them. So you, like Joseph Biden said on um, Labor Day address that, you know, the middle class are being run over. Well, you've been running the government. So that's on you. Well, here's the the big issue, a a sleeping issue, and I'm afraid I got to take off pretty quick. John, what happens if the Republicans retain the Senate? The Democrats have been hoping, because there's so many more Democratic, I'm sorry, Republican seats to defend. What happens if the Republicans retain it? They may not be able to come back for another eight years at earliest to take that chamber back. And now that there's no longer a filibuster that anybody is honoring, uh, we may actually see some pretty scary stuff. And that's... That's a problem. Now, it all depends who the candidate is. Let's say it's Hillary Clinton being the FBI's investigating her server. She's not the most charismatic individual. She's not a great candidate. And if it's not her, who is it? Bernie Sanders, uh, Al Gore, Joseph Biden. They're going to have to defend this economy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm loving that Bernie Sanders thing. That, oh, boy, that's that's an exciting campaign. Oh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see where this goes and how this goes. But, I mean, I think we'll just have to discuss this on the next um, the next debate next month, and we'll see how this goes. But I'd like to thank Scott Scott McDonald from, for being on Ubaldi Reports. And to my listeners, keep going to Ubaldi Reports. On, i got a website there. You can learn more about these issues. At the bottom of the website is the crowdfunding campaign. So we can get the word out and spread um, spread our message to challenge Washington and get them to fix the problems that we need fixed. 
And you can sign up for Ubaldi Reports on my podcast. Go to Stitcher and iTunes. It's free. Sign up. Let me know what you think. What are you looking for to listen to? And we'll have those on this show. Also, you can buy a book I have called The New Business Brigade. You can find it on Amazon or any of the major bookstores. It's the premise of it, why why businesses need to hire veterans. And again, I'd like to thank Scott McDonald for coming on Ubaldi Reports. It was a real pleasure, John. Take care. All right. Take it easy, Scott, and have a great day. And to my listeners, we'll keep listening to Ubaldi Reports. 